The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to, in the high, or Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you faced that week, that passion week, that you endured so much for us, for the cross, the shame of it, because of the joy that was set before you and the freedom that it brought to those who you love. We ask you to give us ears to hear your word this morning give anointing to Randall as he speaks, that it would stir our hearts and we would come away changed by what you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Nancy. All right. Well, welcome this morning. If you're new to Grace City, my name is Randall. I'm the lead pastor, and it's exciting because we are looking at uh, this triumphal entry of Jesus going into Jerusalem, uh, entering into what we call Passion Week, uh, the week before uh, Jesus raises from the dead. And uh, as we, we go through today, we're talking about Palm Sunday and, and this triumphal entry in Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Uh, but before we jump into that, I just want to say a couple of things. Uh, the first one is uh, I loved seeing our kids share the gospel message, right? That Jesus is alive. Um, what, what better way to see it than uh, for kids to be able to, to share that with us? And, and so there's something about children, right? Jesus says, uh, just invite them in, invite the kids in. You have to become like a child to understand the kingdom of God. And so I think just being able to see that on display uh, was, was fantastic. Um, and then the second one is, um, you know, we, we've got the, this collection that we're doing right now for refugees in our city. Um, and, and so next week, uh, Pastor Silas and the, the ministry uh, that he leads is going to be sharing uh, the gospel with uh, to over 250 families of refugees in our community um, in, in San Diego. And so uh, 
Bella just told me they're gonna be taking up a collection next week as well. And so if you weren't able to bring some of the supplies, bring them in next week and we will get them to Pastor Silas and those that are in need in our community um, and just share the love of Jesus in that way. So that's, uh, that's the announcement side. Now we are jumping into the message. Um, and here's what the message is. It is pursuing grace. As we see uh, Jesus entering into the city, what we would have to think is this, this idea of, of God pursuing us with his grace. In March of 2000, Christianity Today wrote an article about uh, Mr. Rogers. And this article is entitled, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Now, if you don't know much about Mr. Rogers, he uh, was on PBS for a long time and just a, a staple there for uh, sharing uh, just life lessons with kids about um, yeah, just any difficulties that they go through. And, and if you didn't know this, Mr. Rogers was an ordained pastor. Uh, but his heart, his calling was he felt he wanted to go into television to share the love of Christ. In a, in a way where people could understand. And so in the article, uh, the author writes this. Is, Mr. Rogers, in his silent, subtle, mighty way, rescues children from a world that would too soon warp their souls. He summons them to a special place where trust arises and does not disappoint. Hearts come alive, awakened by his unconditional acceptance. Everybody longs to be Mr. Er, to be loved and longs to know that he or she is capable of loving, he says. Mr. Rogers calls it loving someone into existence. And Mr. Rogers' neighborhood is the way of answering God's call to broadcast grace throughout the land. To broadcast grace throughout the land. In the studio where they would film Mr. Rogers. There were two signs, and both were words for grace. One was the word for grace in Hebrew, and then the other was the word for grace in Greek. And so when we think about the message of grace, what is grace? Grace is the undeserved, unearned gift of God's love, forgiveness in presence. See, it's the idea that God meets us right where we are. And as we see Jesus, God incarnate, entering into the city, what we would have to say is this, that is grace. See, what makes the Christian message unique? It's grace. It's grace that separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. Here's why. Grace says, your work for God doesn't make you right with God. But instead, it's God's work for you that makes you right with him. See, for some of us today, we might have walked in and, and based our past week on how well I did as a person. Was I a good person this past week? But God looks at us and says, I don't base you off of that in your value. I base it off of grace. 
It's what God has done for us, not what we do for God. Grace says that God seeks sinners. See, Luke 5.32 says this, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Who is it that God goes after? It's those who are lost, who are struggling, who are filled with burdens and say, I don't have my life together. Jesus comes after those people. Grace says, God himself came in the person of Jesus Christ and he pursued us as friends. Matthew eleven nineteen says this, that when Jesus described himself, he said that people call me a friend of sinners. You see, if we're honest, we all need, God, we need God's pursuing grace in our lives. And so my encouragement to you is don't let it be just a word today, but my hope is that you experience it through his word and through what you see today. John 1.16 tells us this about Jesus. As the apostle John, one of Jesus' best friends, described Jesus, here's what he says. He says, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. I've heard it said that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches. That God would want a relationship with me is only possible because of what Christ paid for that to be possible. See, today, do you understand the message of grace? One day, a theologian, Miroslav Volf, was visiting a friend who pastors a church in this desperately poor and dangerous neighborhood in Baltimore. And as he was walking through the streets with his friend, he was thinking on this idea of grace. And here's the question that popped in his mind. He said, how could the dead streets receive life from a seemingly dead doctrine? And after thinking about it, Wolf reflected, and he said, this idea of grace is so practical. Here's what he thought. He says, imagine that you have no job, no money. You live cut off from the rest of society in a world ruled by poverty and violence. Your skin is the wrong color. You have no hope that any of this will change. Around you is a society governed by the iron law of achievement, this gilded goods are flaunted before your eyes on TV screens. And in a thousand ways, society tells you every day that you are worthless because you have no achievement. You're a failure. And you know that you will continue to be a failure because there is no way to achieve tomorrow, tomorrow what you have not managed to achieve today. Your dignity is shattered. Your soul is enveloped in the darkness of despair. But the gospel tells you that you are not defined by outside forces. It tells you that you count even more that you are loved unconditionally and infinitely, irrespective, irrespective of anything you have achieved or failed to achieve. 
Imagine now that this gospel, not simply proclaimed, but embodied in a community, justified by sheer grace. Imagine, furthermore, this community determined to infuse the wider culture along with its political and economic institutions with the message that it seeks to embody and proclaim. This is justification by grace proclaimed in practice, a dead doctrine hardly. See, what would it look like if we treated people in a way in which God has treated us? Grace. The more I personally grow in my relationship with Jesus, the more I see that it is all because of his grace. It's not because I was good or earned it. It's that God loved me despite me. That's why I think in 2 Peter 3.18, Peter says this, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in it. See, as we grow in the knowledge of who Jesus is, the only thing we can walk away with is this. Just like John said, it's grace upon grace. So do you picture God as a God of grace? Our text is Matthew 21, 1 through 11. And just to give some background, Jesus is healing and doing ministry, and now he's coming to the end of his life. Previous, in chapter 20, Jesus heals two blind men on the road to Jerusalem. And what's happening is the truth about Jesus and who he is is starting to be revealed. They shouted out to Jesus, Son of David, in chapter 20. This term was a connection to the Messiah, the Savior. As Jesus is entering into the city in Matthew 21, verse nine, they're shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, save us. If you read through all the gospels, you get a full picture of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And this triumphal entry leads to the Passion Week for Jesus. Now, Jesus is deliberate about every detail as he enters into the city. And he is making a bold statement about who he is. Commentator D.A. Carson says, this is a deliberate act of symbolic self-disclosure for those with eyes to see. Secrecy was being lifted. See, through this text, we see that God's grace is this pursuing grace coming after us, even when we completely didn't understand it. And we see that God does this in three ways. God's pursuing grace is, number one, bold. Number two, counterintuitive. And number three, stirring. Bold, counterintuitive, stirring. And so I'm gonna break this down through the text and so we can start with the first point, bold. Look at verse three with me. It says this, if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. Jesus sends his disciples on this mission to go get a donkey. He says, just go, I'll tell you where to go, I'll tell you what it's gonna look like, but if, if anybody asks you about this, this is what you need to say. The Lord needs them. Now, I wanna focus in on this phrase because this is extremely important. Jesus 
now is referring to himself as Lord. Early in the Gospels, Jesus tells people, his disciples, people he heals, not to tell anyone who he was. Now we see Jesus is intentionally pushing the envelope to the point to say, I did not come to be liked, I've come to be king. Jesus is boldly forcing the issue. And here's what that means. It's one of two options. It's either we crown him or we kill him. See, with Jesus, it's, it's receiving all of him or nothing. Here's the question for all of us. Will we receive Jesus as Lord? C.S. Lewis wisely breaks this down when he starts to think about the ways in which we think about Jesus. And it, I want to read this quote, but it's, it's a long quote, but I think it can be helpful for us as we process this. Here's what he says. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the only thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must take your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great moral teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. See, as Jesus entered into the city and he tells his disciples, the Lord needs them, he is being clear about who he is. Again, the secrecy is being lifted. Jesus has come to be Lord. And so it's bold. The second point is this. It's, it's counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive. Look at verses four through seven. It says this. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. It says the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. Here is what Jesus chose to enter the city on. An unbroken donkey. An unbroken donkey. And so he did not choose to come in on a war horse. This is important. He entered the city on cloaks, not a red carpet. Why did he do this? See, this is counterintuitive to what we would expect from a king. But it was purposeful. Let's think about a donkey for a minute. What does a donkey do? The donkey carries the weight 
and does the heavy lifting, does the dirty work. Spiritually, Jesus is about to do the heavy lifting, the dirty work of dying for our sins on the cross. See, as Jesus came into the city, he said, for you to understand who I am as your king, you have to see me coming in, not on the war horse, which you were wishing that I would come in on, but on the donkey. Because I have come here to bear a burden. The great burden that none of us could have ever carried on our own, of our own personal sin. Jesus is coming in with a mission. See, and this shouldn't have been surprising because Isaiah 62, 11 prophesied that this would happen 700 years earlier. Zechariah 9, 9, 500 years earlier prophesied this. And so when it's saying this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, that's what's happening here. Jesus is fulfilling the promises of the Old Testament. You see, today, as we come in here, and we look at Jesus, we have to understand that he is rooted in history, and that he is rooted in prophecy. See, he, it wasn't the surprise thing that Jesus just showed up, but he was coming from the very beginning. Genesis 3.15 is called the Proto-Evangelion. It is the first gospel message. You see, when sin entered into the world, what happened next is that God provided a solution, an answer. And the answer was not what we needed it to do, but it was going to be the Son coming for us. Grace. See, there's so much to this. And again, I, lo I love this insight from Don Carson, but he says this. He says, in the midst of this excited crowd, so Jesus is entering into the city, the, the crowd is excited. An unbroken animal remains calm under the hands of the Messiah who controls nature. Unbroken donkey. Jesus is riding it. Never been ridden, right? Crazy crowd, excited crowd, and it's walking in calmly under the leadership and guidance of the one who's riding, Jesus. See, Jesus knows what he's doing. He's in charge and he has a plan. And this plan is completely counterintuitive to what everybody wanted or expected from him. Here's what he was ultimately doing. Jesus entered the city to lose power and die so that we could experience his power and live. He chose to be weak so that he could make weak people strong. It's the upside down kingdom. But that's what we see in the gospel. See, this is the foundation of the gospel message, the message of Christianity. That we are not saved by being strong. This is salvation by weakness. Jesus, in his weakness, becomes an approachable savior, doesn't he? Not a savior on a high horse. No, a savior for the broken and spiritually lost. 
See, if Jesus enters the city like this, and this is what grace is all about, then anyone can come to Jesus. Anyone can receive salvation. Jesus says, you want to know me? You want to be in relationship with me? It starts with being weak. It starts with admitting I don't have my life together. It starts with admitting that I'm not strong. See, this is counterintuitive. And here's the thing, living for Jesus is always counterintuitive. And so the last point is this, it's stirring. Look at verses 10 and 11. It says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth, in Galilee. So as we look at this crowd, it says that the crowd is stirred. Now the word for stirred can also mean shaken or tremble. It, it was really rocking the foundations of this city at this point as people are murmuring and, and asking questions and, and saying, who is that over there? And so what are the expectations of this crowd? What, what did they want Jesus to be? Ultimately, the people wanted Jesus to make things right on earth for them now. They wanted him to be the king that would come and rule and reign and take over. But Jesus instead came to make people right with God forever. So this, this question, verse 10, is, is really important. It's, it's who is this? I hope at some point, if you haven't asked that question already, that you do that. That you personally have to say for yourself, who do I believe that Jesus is? I remember it wasn't too long after I became a Christian that my uncle said, I I want to spend some time with you and just get lunch. And so I remember him sitting me down and saying, so tell me, what is this whole Christianity thing about? And we had this long lunch all centered on who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. And I said, it's really cool that you're asking me these questions that we're sitting down right now talking about this. And he said, you know, I really need to ask these questions because if Jesus is who he says he is, then that's really important. And so for you, have you asked that question, who is this? Because Jesus comes close and he demands a response. J.C. Ryle once said this, he says, Jesus came to Jerusalem to die and desired that all Jerusalem should know it. When the time came that he should die, he made a public entry in Jerusalem. He drew the attention of rulers and priests and elders and scribes and Greeks and Romans to himself. He knew that the most wonderful event that ever happened in this world was about to take place. The eternal son of God was about to suffer in the stead of sinful men. The great sacrifice for sin about to be offered up. He therefore ordered 
it so that his death was eminently a public death. It's for all to see. Because as they say, who is this? They had to make a decision about who he was. See, Jesus rode into the city as it stirred, completely misunderstood. And he was pursuing all of us because of grace. Because of grace. And so as we think on this text, I want to give a few takeaways before I wrap up today. Some things that I hope can help us as we think about what grace means in our life. And so the first takeaway is this. Flip the storyline in your heart. You say, what does that mean? Well, let me, think, let me present it to you this way. Do you see your life through the lens of God's grace? As I was sitting with a friend this week, and, and, and really he was talking about life in his church, and he said, you know, it's really hard for me because he was going through the Beatitudes. And he's like, I have people who come up to me and they ask me like, oh, oh, I get it, like, thanks for preaching through the Beatitudes, but why do you keep talking about poor, the poor people? He said, we, we, we're not really poor, we got a lot of stuff, and so we're fine. Why, why are we talking about the poor? And he says, if we're asking that question, then we don't understand how truly poor we are. When Jesus talks about the poor, the, the most detrimental poverty is spiritual poverty. It's not seeing the grace of God all around us. You know, there's something called common grace. It, it, it's that, it, it says it in the Beatitude. It talks about how the sun rises and falls on the good and the evil. Everyone that around, it doesn't matter if you're a good person, evil, whatever, like you can make choices. But we all get to experience this common grace that God gives us all. But it, it's, it's when we see that it, it's not because of us that we actually start to experience what the grace of God truly is. It's not just because life happens and all these things, but there is someone who's over it all. And what we start to see is this, that life, when, when, when the, the storyline flips in our hearts, it's, and, and God comes into our life, that we stop seeing what we have as, well, I just get it because I'm better than other people, smarter, got some better opportunities. And we start to see things as grace. Because let's think about it. We didn't choose what family we were born into. We didn't choose what time and century and all that that we were born into. We didn't choose where we were born. There are some things that we should look at and say, wow, if I have what I have, it's only because of grace, God's gift. And, and, and what that does is it tra transforms our hearts and helps us to know that we need to share that grace with others. See, let's be honest, many of us have this visual, and we wouldn't share this on Facebook, but this visual of us riding into the city is the heroes of our lives. 
Don't we? If it's going to happen, it's because I did it, I made it happen, it was me. But here's the cool thing about grace. God is patiently waiting for us to see the truth. We didn't get to where we are because of ourselves. If we have anything, it's because of him. See, what happens is when, the fl- when we flip that storyline in our heart, what happens is this. When we start to see grace and what God has done, we start to see God as the hero of the story. God is the hero of the story. And we say, man, that wasn't me. It was because God. And what's gonna happen is you're gonna be a little weird or peculiar. People are like, that doesn't make sense. You know, again, as I was reading that article in Christianity Today about Mr. Rogers, there were a lot of people who were like, I just don't get this guy. In Esquire magazine, they wrote this article in 1998 about him. And, and they, they, the guy who was interviewing him was just like, I don't understand him. But he says, something draws me to him. You know what it was? It was God's grace. It's the gospel. It's Christ. That made the difference. So let's flip the storyline in our heart. As we see Jesus riding into the, the city, we would have to say, I don't deserve that. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. The second point is this. Rethink your needs. Rethink your needs. See, there is this lifelong mismatch between what we think we need and what God gives us. Isn't there? It's like, here's what we think we need. We, we think we need the perfect week. Everything is going well and it's sunny outside. No rain, but I want flowers to be blooming everywhere, right? Like, <laughs> that's our expectation. Don't like the rain, but like what it produces. And so we have this lifelong mismatch in our lives, in our, in our hearts, with what reality is and what God gives us. And, and here's the honest truth. When you have a bad week, which again, for me, last week was tough. It's tough. And there's something that just kind of rattles around in there, in our hearts that thinks, God, what's going on? What's going on? Did I do something? You know what I mean? Like we we just start going back, not into grace, not into like, okay, this is why God loves me, And he still loves me even when I have a bad week and when things aren't going right, right? Still loves me. It's hard. But you lean into God is working in the midst of difficulty. Right? Like my my wife's grandmother just passed away. Like trying to juggle... I got three kids. If you're new, I got three kids. And so we're like trying to, I'm trying to juggle that, right? Sickness is starting to spread in the household. Like things are happening, right? And you're like, oh man, this is tough. Got negative thoughts going in my mind. Right? And you're like, man. But what we need to understand is this. We need to persevere through the mismatch until 
God's will becomes my will. Again, we're, we're not promised an easy life in this world. As Jesus is entering into the city, the people thought, great, the Savior has come. He's going to make all things right in our city, and things are going to be awesome, and we're going to be on top again, and we're going to be successful. Sorry. It's actually going to get more difficult. And there are going to be people who are going to try to kill you because you're a Christian now. <laughs> and they're not going to like it. If you really want to follow Jesus, that's what it's going to look like. Timothy Keller says, he says, if we knew what God knows, we would ask exactly for what he gives. Here's the control part. When we step back and say, hold on, God's in control, I'm not. God, you know much more than I do. I don't know what's happening. Help me. The last point is this. It's takeaway. Human celebrity is fleeting. Human celebrity is fleeting. See, the people who are shouting... Hosanna in this text, five days later, are in a crowd of people shouting, Crucify him. Social media, likes, retweets, all that stuff. Human celebrity. One moment they are shouting his name and his praises, and they will be crucifying him at the end of the week. There's this uh, documentary on Heath Ledger called I Am Heath Ledger. You don't know Heath Ledger. He was an actor, played the Joker in The Dark Knight. And uh, filmmaker Matt Amato said this. He says, we, he wanted fame. He's talking about Heath Ledger. He wanted fame. Then when he got it, he didn't want it. January 2008, had a drug overdose. So you get this mismatch of like what's in our mind of like what we think we want and what God provides. Like human celebrity isn't what we've built it up to be. Psalm 103, 15 through 16 says, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. See, Jesus, he didn't come for the human celebrity. He actually talked about that with the Pharisees. He says, that's what you guys want. But I came here on an important mission for the glory of God. See, Jesus leads us to put our hope in him, not the celebrity of man. And so here's what I want to end with. It's this. Why did Jesus come into the city? He came to die for our sins. He came because of us, but he also came for us. And so I want to be clear, this grace that Jesus gave us is costly. It is costly grace. Yes, it was, it was received freely, but it cost the Son of God his life. 
Romans 5.8 says this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is God's grace that God pursued us at great cost to himself. And so I wanna fast forward as we go into Passion Week, Good Friday, Easter next week, Mark 15, 12 through 14. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. Why are we saved? It's because the Son of God was crucified for you and me. And if we don't hear our voice in that crowd, I pray that God will show us the truth. Because every time I read that, I know it was because of me and it was for me. And I encourage you this week, if you've never done it, to watch The Passion of the Christ, just to get in that mindset of how much it cost Jesus to die for us, for our sins. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for pursuing us purely out of grace. It's not because of anything that we've done, but everything that you've done, Lord. And so help us to see the truth. We need you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.